As mentioned, my name is Brad Luter, and it truly is an honor to be with you uh, this morning, not just to serve you as your chapel speaker this morning, but to serve you as a trustee alongside some incredible men and women who have been working very hard to hold this seminary in trust. Would you give them one more round of applause? I can't tell you enough the amount of effort that's been put into this. Dr. Dockery, thank you so much. Uh, for this uh, kindness. Just one point of correction in my introduction. Not quite a doctor yet. Matter of fact, as serving as a trustee, I've been a student at one of our sister seminaries for a few years now and uh, got to a uh, Albert dissertation phase. Some of you guys might be in that situation now and then fell in love with Southwestern and just recently transferred over to Southwestern. And now I am, yes, yeah, that's awesome. So um, I am a D-Men student now as of two weeks ago. And if you are my professor, I promise you, I'm going to turn in whatever I haven't turned in the last, been a little busy the last few days. But it truly is an honor to be with you. My wife, Katie, is here. Katie, give a big wave there. So y'all give it up for Katie Luter. She is a blessing to me. And I want to say a special thank you to Dr. Joe Kreider. Dr. Joe Kreider and I go way back, almost 20 years. My wife and I were 25 years old, moved to Springfield, Missouri, right after we got married. Dr. Joe and Amy Kreider were there. Dr. Joe served as our worship pastor. He's been a blessing to me, such a blessing. I forgot my Bible in my office, called Dr. Joe and said, hey, you wouldn't happen to have a Bible. And oddly enough, he had a Bible. And uh, he brought me his Bible, and it already had a sermon in it, so I'm going to preach this sermon from Dr. Joe Kreider, but no, we love Dr. Joe and Amy Kreider. But I'll be honest with you, I do feel a little bit like um, the time I went to go see one of our church members uh, in the hospital. I, I pastor a church in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I believe the greatest church in the Southern Baptist Convention is called Grand Avenue Baptist Church. I've been there for nine years now. God has blessed us. Church has been gracious to us. And I went to go see one of our church members in the hospital I got to the elevator uh, to go to her floor, and when the elevator doors opened, nothing but white coats were in that elevator. I mean, from wall to wall, lined up like a bunch of stormtroopers, right? There's one little space for me to squeeze in, and when I squeezed into that elevator and the door shut, I said what everyone in that elevator already knew. I said this statement, I am pretty sure I am the dumbest person in this elevator right now, and uh, I feel a little bit like that this morning. I have... Uh, I am totally self-aware of my cognitive abilities. I was born and raised in Louisiana, educated in the Louisiana public school system, graduated college from Louisiana, did my master's online. I've been living in Arkansas for nine years. I am pretty sure I am the dumbest person in this room, right? The only thing that Louisiana and Texas have in common is we'd be last in everything if it weren't for Mississippi, amen? hey you. all right. So it's clear, listen, I'm aware of where I stand in the mental game in this room. The truth is, is your theological socks are not going to be knocked off this morning. But I do pray. I do pray that what I believe the Lord has laid on my heart, a message that all of us should pay attention to, listen to, and consider in our own hearts and minds. That the hope is, is that you'll leave here today challenged to consider your Christian life, challenge to consider your leadership and what really will make a difference a hundred years from now. So will you join me in praying as we open God's word? Father, we do love you, we do thank you. God, certainly thankful for this seminary, its heart to train men and women to serve you, to impact the world in so many different areas. Thank you for this faculty, for this staff, 
And God, I do pray for the next few moments that we'll just be united together to hear from your word, to open our hearts and our minds to what you may have to say to us this morning. Father, we love you, we thank you, and everybody says, amen. Here's what I wanna talk to you about this morning. I wanna talk to you this morning about what I believe is the most underemphasized characteristic of Christian leadership, Christian life in general. And that underemphasized characteristic, that quality, I believe, is humility. If there were ever a time where we need more humble leaders who preach God's word, teach God's word, lead God's people, stand in a classroom, husbands, wives, it's now. Humility is the word this morning. But in order to talk about humility, we must talk about humility's adversary, pride. Let me give you a working definition of the word pride. Pride, an excessive confidence in and attention to one's own skills, accomplishments, state, possessions, or position. Well, as I mentioned, uh, where I was from, as I mentioned my state of mind, here's an easier definition for us to remember the word pride. An easier definition I wrote down is me, 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 me. Here is the reality. We have a nature that is one to be inclined to be obsessed with ourselves. In 2013, a word was introduced into the English language. You know what that word was? That word is the word selfie. Anybody know what a selfie is? Anybody knows what a selfie is? In 2013, the word selfie was introduced into the English language. June 21st is National Selfie Day. It has its own day. Your selfie has its own day. A few statistics I found about selfies. 92 million selfies are taken every day. Every day. Over 50% of millennials have published a selfie at least once. Over 95 young adults have taken a selfie. And I found it um, interesting that out of all the selfies taken, 4% of those selfies are taken by boomers. Any boomers in the house? You ever seen a boomer try to take a selfie? I saw a video of, uh, of uh, uh, Jerry Jones trying to take a selfie with a fan, that one fan that he has, trying to take a selfie with that fan, and it looked like he was trying to build a piece of Ikea furniture, reading it in Chinese. He would have been better off building a space shuttle than taking a selfie. Women take more selfies than men. No surprise there. <laughs> Individuals spend 54 hours a year or seven minutes a day taking selfies. Between October 2011, November 2017, at least 259 people died and 137 incidents while taking selfies globally. More people die by taking selfies than by being eaten by sharks. It's a true story. Drowning, 27% is the primary cause of death while taking selfies. I mean, this is shocking. And it is just a symptom of a reality that we have a nature that is inclined to be obsessed with self. It's a symptom of pride. The Bible has much to say about pride. Proverbs 16, five says, everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18, pride becomes before the destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. 
Pride is said to be the conduit of which all sins flow. Consider what Augustine said. Only ask what every sin is and see whether or not you can find any sin without the designation of pride. Or C.S. Lewis in his great work, Mere Christianity, pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. You wanna be less like God? Fuel your pride. Pride's antidote is humility. And the Bible has a lot to say about humility. John, James 4.10 says, humble yourselves. Matthew 18.4 says, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are the humble. Luke 14, it's the humble that will be exalted. And so if you do me a favor, because of time, we don't have all the time to talk about all the things that the Bible says about humility, Take your Bibles and turn over to Philippians chapter two. We're gonna spend our time there and we're gonna look at this idea of Christ-like humility. If you would do me a favor, as we read Philippians chapter two, would you stand in honor of God's word? Here's what the text says. If there is any encouragement in Christ... If any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Listen to this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not only to his own interest, but also, but rather to the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. You be seated. I want to point out four things in this call that Paul writes to the church in Philippi, this call to Christ-like humility. The first thing I want to point your attention to is this, is that Paul appeals to their faith, and he appeals by using these sort of rhetorical questions, if you will, if there is any encouragement in Christ. I, I, Paul's not questioning the fact that if you're in Christ, you're, are, that, you, that you may or may not be encouraged. Listen, if you are in Christ, you will find encouragement. Anybody found encouragement by being in Christ? If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if, you've ever, if you're in Christ, you will find comfort in Christ. If any fellowship with the Spirit, if you are in Christ, you will have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. If any affection and mercy, if you are in Christ, you will have affection and you will have mercy. Paul is saying that if you are in Christ, then what is going to follow should happen because if you are in Christ, you've been encouraged. If you are in Christ, you found comfort in his love. If you are in Christ, you found fellowship with his spirit. You have affection. You have mercy. Well, if that's you, Paul says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You know, the beauty of Christianity is our diversity. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
But also the beauty of Christianity is our singular aim. A person who grows in Christ next to another person who grows in Christ, they will begin to look the same in Christ. They will begin to be like Jesus. And so Paul begins with this appeal. Before he gets into um, um, Christ and his humility, he's making this statement that if you are in Christ, you will behave as if you are in Christ. If you are in Jesus, you will be united together, not in your gender, not in your race, not in whether you're tall or short, whether you're skinny or, or not skinny. You will not be called together to be united in those things you will be called and be united in Christ in an effort to be like Jesus. And so he appeals to their faith, and then Paul addresses the greatest contradiction. Did you know that the most unattractive thing about a person is selfishness? Did you know that? Let me tell you a story that might change your opinion of me. I introduced you to my wife earlier. My wife is amazing, lucky to have her, beautiful. When we were dating, I took her out. And I took her to this place called uh, the Rose Garden. We're originally from Shreveport, Bossier, Louisiana, not too far from here. It's her favorite place to go around Christmas, and they've got Christmas lights, and there's flowers. I mean, it's just beautiful. We went with another couple friend of ours who had just gotten engaged, and Katie and I had been dating long enough to where we were serious, and I was very certain she was the one. She was really certain I was the one. We go to this rose garden. We're walking around. We're talking with our friends. Katie then walks away. She goes somewhere. I don't remember where. And at that point, it's just me and the couple friends. And they're standing there, and, and I say, oh, let me see your engagement ring. I'd like to see what it looks like. And she showed it to me. I was like, oh, that's the exact same ring that I'm planning to buy for Katie, only mine's a lot smaller than yours, but that's the exact same ring that I plan to buy for her. So I take that ring, and you ever had one of those moments where, like, all decency leaves you? <laughs> I have this ring, I turn around, and there is, there is my, my now wife, but my girlfriend at the time, standing in a perfect situation across a bridge over this little creek. There's Christmas lights. I mean, there's, there's people caroling in the background, Dr. Crider. I mean, it is a beautiful, beautiful setting. And I turn, and I begin to walk towards her with this ring. How many of you hate me now? And she takes a step back and she does this. She's like, and that, that's when I realized the severity of this moment. I was like, no, 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 I'm just joking, I'm just joking. And she just dropped her, yeah. Oh. Horrible. Dr. Dockery's like, who invited this man to speak at chapel? I don't think I was a Christian then, I'm pretty sure. The most unattractive thing about a person Selfishness. And so selfishness is the Christian contradiction. And Paul addresses the Christian contradiction here. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Oh God, if we had more leaders like that. Everyone should look not only to his own interests, but rather to the interest of others. 
Let me give you a principle as you begin your Christian leadership, ministry life, whatever it looks like. Let me remind those of you that are mature in your faith, your pastors and trustees and lay people who've gone through this process. Let me remind you of this simple but profound truth. God does nothing in your life just for you. Because if God did everything in your life just for you, this whole thing would be about you. And guess what? It ain't about you. As a matter of fact, I love to remind our church on Sunday mornings on a regular basis that this thing is not about you. And I'd like for you to do this little exercise with me by looking at your neighbor and remind them, it ain't about you, bro. Go and do that. Wives, this is your opportunity. Got that, got that uh, messy roommate? This is your opportunity. God does nothing in your life. As a matter of fact, every blessing God gives you is meant to leverage for the advancement of his kingdom. Does God love you? Does God want to bless you? Of course he does. But he never does it just for you. That is the contradiction that Paul is addressing here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others more important than yourselves. And so Paul addresses the great contradiction. Number three, Paul exalts Christ as the, as the example. The great thing about this text is not only is Paul giving us a, a reminder of how to live our life, he says, listen, this isn't coming out of nowhere. This is being pulled straight from the life of Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Students, young in ministry, the best leadership advice, the best life advice that I can give you is to be like Jesus. No one else. Don't model your life and leadership after another person. Yes, listen. Yes, pay attention. Of course, there are things you can learn and wisdom you can glean. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the most important person you can be is a person who is like Jesus and no one else. So follow this sort of Christological gem that some theologians have adorned it. Verse 6, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. We could spend weeks on this passage. Two simple truths that come out of this passage. One, Jesus is God. A motivation to be like Jesus, he is God. Every step that Jesus took on this planet, he took as God. Listen to what one commentator said. Jesus is the preeminent example of humility. He has always been God. John 1, 1 speaks of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As God, he did not selfishly grasp a hold or tightly hold to his position as equal with God. Instead, he was willing to leave his high position in heaven, in heaven temporarily and to give himself over to serving our needs. Although he set aside his rights and privileges of being God, he remained God. Listen, Jesus is God, and Jesus did not cling to his position. Instead, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. 
Imagine for a second that you had all the privileges of God. I was thinking about this sitting on an airplane flying over here. I was sitting in our seat, and my, clearly my wife was next to me. Uh, a couple of rows in front of us, a gentleman fell asleep, and he began to snore to the point I thought the plane was going to cave in. And I thought, man, if I had the privileges of God right now, no telling what I'd do. I'd probably put him on a plane to Bermuda, just like that, you know? Think about when you're driving a tracker. Think about what you would do if you had all the privileges of God in this fallen world. You ever driven in traffic and been a little frustrated at folks? Come on, you guys drive, right? I'm just in one of those seminaries, right? <laughs> Think about that. Christ had all the privileges of God, yet he emptied himself in humility for a purpose greater than exploiting himself. Verse seven, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. If Christ assumes the form of a servant and he exemplifies for us servanthood, why would we not have that same leadership? Taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When I read this section, I can't get out of my head Jesus washing the disciples' feet. We read it, but sometimes we overlook just the humility of that. The creator of the universe, the one who is and has always been, kneeling, stooping, which is what this text describes. Grabbing the feet of fallen, imperfect men and washing the dirt off their feet. You want a mental picture of, of humble leadership, pastors, missionaries, small group leaders, professors, teachers? Get that picture in your head. Walk into your ministry context, whatever it's gonna look like, with the picture that I'm going to serve people like Christ did. And then finally, Paul motivates this call to humility with eternity by literally answering, answering this question, why lead and live like Jesus? For this reason, his humility, his selfish, selflessness, his obedience, God exalted him highly and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do everything you do in ministry and in life as a Christian with this in mind, that one day we, you, me, will bow before Almighty God. And if you read Matthew's Gospel in 25, what you will be called to is how you treated people. And if you lead with humility, and if you lead like Christ, you will stand before Almighty God. And in standing before Almighty God, with a conscience of, I was humble in my life. I lived with this heart to serve people, to be kind to people, and to stoop and wash people's feet and not take this position of authority and, and, and everything to the point where I hurt people and abuse people. 
We need more leaders like that, knowing and motivated by the fact that they will stand before Almighty God. So there's two things I wanna leave you with this morning. Two things, number one, and a motivation to humility from Philippians chapter two. I wrote these, these two things down. One, live your life as if 100 years from now, the only thing that's gonna matter is Jesus. Because that's all that will matter. Lead people with that thought in mind. Be a husband with that thought in mind. Be a father with that thought in mind. Be someone who posts on social media with that thought in mind, amen? And lastly, my prayer for you is that the commentary of your life will be written in this way, that your life and your leadership was saturated with the humility of Christ so that when people talk about you, when people mention your name, it's not done with an eye roll. It's not done with a sigh of relief. Listen, I've been in ministry for a while now. I've served under lots of leaders. I've been around lots of people. And if there's one thing that I wish I saw more is humility. Let the commentary of your life be written that it was saturated with the love of Christ and the humility of Christ. God bless you. Thank you so much 